and This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. She was born in 1952 and went to be with the Lord this last Sabbath evening as the sun went down. At 69 years of age, Sharon Gluck from Rochester, New York, was perhaps one of the longest listeners ever to this program. What a supporter she was, but more than a supporter of this program, she was absolutely dedicated to the Lord that she served, even as a Jewish woman. Yes, she and her husband, Bob, Robert, of 38 years, are Jewish. But their Lord is and was Yeshua HaMashiach. Jesus Yeshua, the Messiah. And today on Viewpoint, we want to dedicate this program to the memory of Sharon L. Gluck. Now, we're not going to spend all the program dealing with her life, but we are going to share some thoughts concerning her life because actually they reflect heavily upon this program and perhaps even upon you. And so I hope you'll stay tuned, friends. It's conversation as always with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. Today, after we have opened up the heart of Sharon L. Gluck to you and to the world in which she lived, we're going to be talking about answering the question, why do the nations rage? The balance of our program will be dedicated to Israel and to the Jewish people, and I hope you'll stay tuned. We're going to be dealing with prophecy. We're going to be dealing with the issues of our time from a Jewish perspective, but also from a perspective of one who has embraced Jesus, Yeshua, as Messiah. Sharon Gluck was a many talented person. She had a voice that one friend said was uh, basically heaven sent. She was a friend to many, many people, always ready to pray for people. I have listened to her husband, Robert, over and over again over the past weeks since she first was committed to the hospital there in Rochester, New York. His heart was amazing as he reflected upon the life of his wife and their commitment together to serve the Lord. It was so touching, I wish that I had a recording of every one of those conversations, you would have been and would still be profoundly blessed. But Sharon finally earned her reward in heaven. Yes, she fought on earth to survive. But now she has earned her reward in heaven. I want to share with you some thoughts that came from her husband over the past days he has sent me a number of text messages, and I want to share some of these thoughts with you. First of all, he talks about how valiant Sharon was, even there in the hospital, as she continued her fight. She said, God is her defense. 
The hospital called me last Sunday to say goodbye, but it will never be goodbye. When Yeshua calls either one of us home, it will be until we meet again. After two and a half days of intense intercession with both our esteemed pastor and messianic rabbis, they threw me out of the hospital. (laughs) They didn't want to consider her as nearing imminent death. Her condition remained critical at that time a week ago. However, her vitals were hanging in tough. And so, he said, we're praying the blood of Messiah over the doorpost of her room and claim her space as holy ground. Holy ground. In fact, wherever Sharon was, was holy ground. She was an unbelievable, unusual person, a true ambassador, a Jewish ambassador for the Lord. For Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. In fact, Bob, her husband, told me today that all along Sharon's lead doctor was a born-again believer that prayed every day for his patients, and he too was confounded that she lived this long with the intimate knowledge of her condition. I'm having to scroll down to take a look at some of these things. Bob, thanks each and every one for pouring out their love and prayers on her behalf. Many prayers were answered. May we all one day be reunited with her and worship with her and our awesome creator of the universe. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Bob writes, I am just so thankful that God answered our prayers and gave her ultimate and final healing. Sharon L. Gluck. Now, let me just share a few things with you about Sharon Gluck. You see, Sharon Gluck has been listening to this program for probably about 20 years. In fact, she was one of the first listeners when our program went on satellite after having uh, started in for five years in Richmond, Virginia. She began to listen. And as she began to listen to Viewpoint, she began to realize that this was, shall we say, a discipling program. This, this was a program that could guide her children as they were being homeschooled, could guide them to become more like Jesus to become stronger in their faith, their commitment to the Lord. And so she used this program as a regular part of the children's homeschool curriculum for years. She would call me periodically to tell me what she was doing and how the program was blessing her and her kids. That was Sharon Gluck. Yes, she purchased a number of the books and the materials that we have here on Viewpoint, but she listened virtually every day. In fact, her husband told me that she listened twice a day. First, she would listen to the program live, and then the next day she would listen as she took a walk early in the morning before dawn on her cell phone. 
For Sharon Gluck, this program was a lifeline. This program was an anchor. This program was an inspiration. And I hope that it's that kind of an inspiration for you. I really do. Sharon L. Gluck. A musician, a Jewish woman, whose heart of hospitality was so great that everywhere she went, it was like an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I hope that's the condition of your life today. As we move on through the program today, we're going to ask the question, why do the nations rage? Why do they rage against Israel? Why did God say to the prophet Joel, proclaim this among the Gentiles, prepare war? Why did he do that? What's going on over there in Israel and among the Jewish people in this country and in Israel? We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Believe it or not, the nations are setting the course for destiny. Even right now, the drum roll is announcing the opening of the final curtain of the divine drama, I think, of human history that's fading and revealing the spectacular conflict that's soon to take center stage in front of us. The nations are raging, just as the Bible said they would. The geopolitical lines and historical alliances that were once deemed destined to endure the ravages of time have shifted dramatically in a single decade. Arch enemies have baffled the world and become end-time friends. Friends have become implacable foes. Betrayal has bereaved the world of ancient trusts, leaving leaders bewildered at the shocking events unfolding rapidly before their terrified eyes. Indeed. There's no question about it. The nations are being stirred in an unprecedented rage. But for the student of the Bible, these circumstances were long expected and clearly foretold even 3,000 years ago. In fact, they were foretold for the very Mount of God, Mount Zion. So it behooves us today to take a journey back to that ancient and forgotten, for many long-forgotten time, when the mountain was front-row center from God's viewpoint. Today, in the balance of the program, we take a look at what is happening in Israel, what is happening around the world. In fact, I was just reading, in, in writing on my new book, Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages, reading of a secular writer who was saying something very shaking has happened among the peoples of our world. Something very shaking has happened among the peoples of our world. He was talking about what's happening in the last, say, 10, 15 years. Something very shaking is happening among the peoples of the world. Would you agree with that? 
The Bible said that's exactly what would happen. There was going to be a great shaking. In fact, God said at Mount Sinai, when the law was given, the Torah was given, there was going to be a great shaking. In fact, there was. The trumpet was sounded. The grand messianic shofar was sounded from heaven. The people shook in their boots. They were terrified. They told Moses, don't make us listen to this anymore. Don't make us listen to this God that's voicing on this, this thunderous voice. No, you talk to him. That's what they said, putting it in common terms. The earth shook. But the book of Hebrews tells us that the earth is going to shake again. In fact, everything that can be shaken is going to be shaken. And are we not seeing that today? Are we not experiencing that deep in the, we're, we're feeling it, we're, we, we can sense the trembling of the world, can we not? The leaders of our world are trembling. When the United States and Israel became the energy leaders of the world just a few years ago, a headline read that Russia and the nations were trembling. Maybe that's the reason why Russia was intent on sending its pipeline and completing the pipeline to Germany and to Western Europe. That Mr. Trump was opposing vigorously because he knew it would be a threat, both to the United States and to the world. But when Mr. Biden took over, he allowed it to go through. What did that do? That set up the trajectory of biblical prophecy that would ultimately end in Israel. Indeed it did. Because ultimately there is going to be a situation arise soon. How soon, I cannot tell you. When Israel is going to have a massive discovery of oil, The geologists know that Israel has had vast amounts of oil under its soil for for centuries, but they have not been able to access it, unlike the Arab nations surrounding. But one day before long, that is going to be realized. And when that is realized, the nations whose economies and power and military are dependent upon oil and gas are going to be terrified. And they will attack Israel, as declared in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. They will attack Israel to take a spoil, because they cannot countenance the idea that Israel would not only have massive gas reserves that is discovered off the coast of the Mediterranean, but also massive oil reserves. It would reduce the value of the oil and the demand for oil in Russia, in Iran, which was formerly known as Persia, in Libya, 
and uh, it would seriously affect Germany that is now held over a barrel with Russian domination to provide 70% of their energy. This is why that oil pipeline was so serious in the light of biblical prophecy. But that's only one way in which the nations will rage. The psalmist asked a provocative question. David the psalmist, and that question echoes right down to our time right now, poised on the edge of eternity. Why do the heathen or the nations rage? You can find it in Psalm 2, verse 1. And that word translated heathen in the King James Version actually is the Hebrew word gawi or commonly goy. It's a term used to identify people or nations other than the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, it refers to all Gentiles. Therefore, what the psalmist was really asking is, why do the Gentiles or Gentile nations rage? Why do you think they rage? Why do you think they might rage against Israel? But they do. Political and so-called NGOs or non-governmental organizations are trying to institutionalize a tsunami rage sweeping the earth of anti-Semitism to cause the entire world, including the United Nations, to oppose Israel and everything that they do. And to institute a Palestinian state in order to undo everything that was gained by Israel in the rebirth of the nation in 1948. So, it seems to me that in light of so-called replacement theology that many pastors now and theologians are saying the church just totally replaced Israel and all of the promises to Israel, that maybe they should take judicial notice from the God of heaven and earth. When God said when I shall have gathered the house of Israel for the people among whom they scattered and shall be sanctified in them in the sight of the heathen, that is, the Gentile nations, then shall they dwell in their land that I have given to my servant Jacob. And they shall dwell safely therein and shall build houses and plant vineyards, yes, and they shall dwell with confidence when I have executed judgments upon all them that despise them round about them, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God. You can find that in Ezekiel chapter 28. But he goes on and says, For in my holy mountain, in the mountain of the height of Israel, says the Lord God, there shall be all the house of Israel, all of them, in the land to serve me. And you shall know that I am the Lord, when I shall bring you into the land of Israel, into the country for which I lifted up my hand to give it to your fathers. Again, that's also in Ezekiel, this time chapter 20. So, it's interesting that it's not just the Arab or Muslim nations or peoples alone who are raging against, against Israel. It's a global phenomenon. And it's glo- growing geometrically month by month, year after year. And the news media, at least those that I access, are reporting it. So where's it all going to end? Is there going to be a culmination? 
What will cause the collective animus of the Gentile world to rise up against the Jewish people in a calamitous confrontation with the Lord of Nations himself? Will even the Christian church betray her trust to bless the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and and Israel? Because, as you know, God said in Genesis chapter 12 to Abraham, I will bless those that bless you and curse him that curses you. So why then do the nations rage? We want to answer that question in the second half of the program later on. But before we get there, I want to share with you some developments in a different vein. Yes, with regard to Israel, because everything happening in Israel is not a blessing. In fact, Israel has its own problems. Israel has its own errant viewpoint. Israel has its own confrontation with the God of history. Israel continues to reject even the Messiah that was sent to her as the hand of the Father extended. So here is a headline from Israel National News. Danger, missionaries in your home. The writer says that missionaries are trying to convert IDF soldiers, Israeli Defense Force soldiers. The writer of this article says that he's watching out for the dangers that face the Jewish people in the age of assimilation in modern times. He says there are so many dangers and threats that confront the Jewish people on so many fronts, both in and out of Israel. The Arab-Israeli conflict, anti-Semitism, ignorance of Judaism, assimilation and intermarriage, and perhaps the most heart-wrenching of all, he says, is termed apostasy. Oh, but what does he mean by apostasy? He said, outside of Israel, many Jews have succumbed to being Christians after marrying a Christian, which he says is a slow form of national suicide, if you will. But probably the one of the worst dangers, the writer says, facing Jews, with the growth of the Internet and its sub-branches, the smartphone, the personal computer, the laptop, the tablet, the ability of Christian missionary movements to reach assimilated and, and Jewishly ignorant Jews, and even disaffected religious Jews in a way that was not possible in previous generations, he says. It's various forms of missionizing, he says, that they used to carry on knocking door to door and on home visits with pamphlets and books and videos and cute flyers. But now we have the most powerful effort of them all using technology and the digital age to hook unsuspecting Jews into the missionary lures. Now, from a secular or even orthodox, particularly orthodox Jewish viewpoint, one can understand this writer. Because from an orthodox Jewish viewpoint, the greatest sin that a Jew can participate in is acknowledging Jesus or Yeshua as Messiah. For them, that is the ultimate apostasy. In fact, it's more than apostasy. For them, it's an act of blasphemy. And the reason is because 
They rely upon the statement in the scriptures, the Lord our God is one. So they contend that because Christians or Messianic Jews receive Jesus as deity, one with the Father, one with Hashem, that they have, by definition, become polytheists and therefore are engaged in blasphemy. And then to acknowledge that the Holy Spirit, Ruach HaKadosh, is also divine. That makes three gods, and that is deemed intolerable. The only problem with that, friends, is that right there in the first Genesis 1 and 2, it says, let us make God, let us make man in our image. Think about it. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archive. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. Again, I welcome you back to Viewpoint, our program dedicated to the memory of Sharon L. Gluck, one of the longest-term listeners to this program, about 20 years, who went to be with the Lord as the sun went down this past Sabbath, Saturday. We share some thoughts concerning her life, concerning the import of this program in her life, the life of her husband, and particularly the life of her children, with whom she shared this program day after day after day, homeschooling them. Using this program as a discipling tool to encourage, to inform, to build up, to strengthen in the ways of the Lord might be a thought for you. Because, in fact, discipling for destiny is one of the pillars upon which this program stands. Preparing the way of the Lord? Yes. Discipling for destiny? Absolutely. Teaching people to obey everything that God has commanded? You bet. That's what we're about. But from Israel, the viewpoint among Orthodox Jews is very different. They despise Christians or Messianic Jews who will dare to try to lead the people in Israel to embrace Yeshua, Jesus, as Messiah. Here's the reason why, and I'm going to read to you from this article that came out just a couple of days ago in Israel National News. 
Evangelical Christian groups in America are hell-bent on converting the Israeli Jews to Christianity no matter what it takes. They're very creative, and over the last number of decades have created Hebrew Christian groups, such as Jews for Jesus and Messianic Judaism, that preach that you can have it all, and in fact, that to be a good Jew, you must actually become a believer in Jesus, whom they have rechristened Yeshua. Since they know that Yeshu has negative connotations among Jews, while Yeshua is a better name to these groups. The writer goes on to say, I have had online debates with so-called Messianic Jews and their evangelical godfathers over the years, and I never fail to point out that Judaism and Christianity are actually opposite and opposing religions in spite of the attempts to prove the Messiahship of Yeshua, that you can't have it both ways since Judaism as a religion rejects Jesus as the Messiah something that was always well known to the Jewish masses and still is in many respects. So Judaism regards Jesus as a false Messiah, and certainly not the Son of God, he writes. In fact, he was the worst of the kind of people. The writer goes on to say, these things need to be clear to all Jews regardless of their level of observance or non-observance. He says the missionary effort of Christians and Messianic Jews is aimed at piercing and destroying the heart and mind, the body and soul of the Jewish people, and trying to cut the unbreakable bond between the Jewish people and their God, our Father in Heaven. That came from the president and founder of the Jewish Professionals Institute. That's a viewpoint. And that viewpoint is determining destiny. You can see then why it is so critical at this moment in history to come to grips in ways that perhaps seem impossible today to unveil the Messiah. Yeshua, Jesus said that I came to you in my Father's name and you rejected me. But there is one coming in his own name and him you will receive. That, my friends, is what the Bible calls the imposter or the anti-Christ, the counterfeit Christ. You can see the dilemma. But Sharon Gluck had embraced Yeshua, my understanding was, for the past 55 years. Not only embraced him as a Jew, but was valiant in her, not so much missionary efforts per se, but allowing the Spirit of the Lord, the Ruach Kadesh, the Spirit of the Lord to effervesce from her life and to touch the lives of so many as a true ambassador of Hashem, God. And that was recognized by people everywhere she went, including in the hospital. And that's the way it should be, if we're true followers of Christ. 
But Israel's facing some more challenges. It's coming not just from inside Israel against Yeshua as Messiah. By the way, Orthodox Jews do not believe there will be a Messiah who would be deity, God. They are looking for a man, a charismatic man, somebody like Moses, to come in and lead them in this messianic age. That's their viewpoint. And viewpoints determine destiny. They're not neutral. What is your viewpoint concerning Jesus as Messiah? What do you think that he will do if he is Messiah and he's coming back as promised? What will he do? And how would the Jewish people recognize him? If they didn't recognize Yeshua the first time, how would they recognize a Messiah the second time? Or how would any Gentile recognize the Messiah? These are critical questions, friends. In fact, they're so critical that they are the ultimate questions of history and prophecy and our time. Now, in addition to that, South Africa now is pressuring the pageant winner of the South African Miss Universe contest not to participate in the upcoming beauty contest because the organizers of the pageant are going to participate in the contest in Israel. Did you hear that? So South Africa's government is urging its national pageant winner to boycott this year's Miss Universe contest due to its location in Israel. What do they have against Israel? Now, South Africa has gone to great lengths, and you might think, because of what you have heard from liberal media concerning the changes in South Africa from apartheid and so on, but it took on every bit as vicious or more vicious government and attitudes toward white people. That's right. And the destroying of white farmers murdering them, and they have the temerity to come against Israel because Israel happens to reject a Palestinian state that would completely undo Israel as a country? The viewpoints of the world, friends, this is how the nations are raging. That's a raging attitude coming from South Africa. U.S. Orthodox rabbis now are accused of secretly becoming evangelical Christians. I have the whole article in front of me here. It came out October 22nd. Because they embraced Yeshua as Messiah, therefore, they are not Jews anymore. Question, what is a Jew? What is a Jew? Well, in reality, a Jew is a physical descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob.
A Jew is not one who embraces Judaism. That's a religion. In fact, Judaism, as known today, is rabbinic Judaism, which is not the Judaism of the Bible. But it has been superimposed upon the culture of Israel and of the Jewish people so as to claim that rabbinic Judaism is tantamount and congruent with being a Jew. Therefore, by definition, notwithstanding the fact that Jesus was a Jew, that all of his apostles were Jews, that all of the first believers in Yeshua on the day of Pentecost were Jews, that the church was established in Jerusalem, notwithstanding all of that, that is all debunked as not being Jewish. So there's a great deal of confusion now, a confusion between, shall we say, relational heritage, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, cultural activities and traditions, and religion. There is even a war within Israel concerning all of those things. Here's an article that came out just, uh, well, earlier this year. For the Jerusalem Post, how do Israeli Orthodox and secular Jews feel toward each other? Here's this. Here's the uh, indication: twenty-eight percent of all Israelis feel tension in their immediate environment due to differing political ideas. For this reason, thirty percent of all Israelis stated that they avoid talking politics with family and friends. Orthodox and hate, 24% of all Israelis stated that they hate Orthodox people. 40% of secular people said they hate Orthodox people. Are you beginning to see the confusion? Satan is the author of confusion and chaos, friends. Can you see the tall order? that even Sharon Gluck and her husband have had to deal with as Messianic Jews. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Why then do the nations rage? We'll complete answering that question, at least in summary. 
in this segment of the program. But before we get there, let's take a further look at how Israel Orthodox and secular Jews feel toward each other. Coming from the Jerusalem Post. Left-wing versus right-wing. Left-wing voters are the most hated population in Israel, according to the study. 22% of all Israelis stated that they hated leftists, where the percentage of right-wing voters who hate leftists is 30%. On the other hand, only 10% of left-wing voters say that they hated people on the right side of the political spectrum. And then there's also a division of heritage. 76% of all Israelis feel that there is a rift between Ashkenazi people and Mizraim, that is, descendants of local Jewish communities in the Middle East and North Africa. And 38% of all Israelis think the rift has grown in the past few years. The study reports that all Israelis have encountered hate speech in their daily lives. 69% have experienced this on social media, 63% left-wing voters have encountered hate speech from the politicians, compared to 56% of right-wing voters and 50% of Orthodox people. 75% experience hate speech toward them online. And as to political ideologies, we've already spoken that 28% of all Israelis feel tension in their immediate environment to the differing political ideas within the country and within Jewish people, even in America. So, the writer of this article in Jerusalem Post says that all of this requires that every one of us Look inside and introspect. Rabbi Peron says it has nothing to do with religious or secular. Our power as a people is the coherence and the ability to accommodate each other for our differences. We need to uproot the word hate from the Israeli lexicon. We're allowed to and should debate and disagree. We're not allowed to hate. So then why... Does another rabbi write that the Jewish people should hate Messianic Jews and Christians? You see, the problem in Israel is that there's supposed religious freedom for Christians. Only if you remain silent. Only if you remain in your church or your congregation or your synagogue but nothing outside. That's Israel's religious freedom. So in a context like that, how does God, by his Spirit, ever get through to people? You see, the rage is everywhere. The rage isn't just against Israel, it's within Israel. The rage just doesn't against Christians, it's within the church. It's within all of us. And God, in his mercy and compassion, is patient enough to give us a little bit more leeway, a little more rope, so to speak, 
to try to get it right and to embrace Yeshua as the way, the truth, and the life. That no one will come to the Father but by him. Can it happen? It happened for Sharon Gluck and her husband. And it can happen for you. And when it does, it will make a difference beyond anything that you can imagine. A new effervescing of joy will emanate from your life, just as it did from Sharon Gluck. Her husband told me that she loved to worship, just absolutely loved to worship the Lord with passion. Spent every amount of time she could in the scriptures and listening to voices that would to build up in the faith. And then she played the piano and worshiped privately in playing the piano. I listened to her. I was given the privilege of listening to her via my cell phone, which I did. Here is a woman, a Jewish woman, whose entire life was transformed. Not by ritualistic adherence to rituals and cultural norms and expectations, but by primarily seeking the Lord with a whole heart. Jesus said, in fact, the Father said, if you'll seek me with a whole heart, I will be found of you. If you seek me, you will find me, said the prophet, if you seek me with your whole heart. So then why are the nations raging? Why does the psalmist say that the nations are raging in Psalm uh, 2? Well, for one thing, their vanity, their foolishness, their arrogance is directed against the Lord and against his anointed. It's the ultimate chutzpah of life. Who is God's anointed? The Bible tells us very clearly that Israel, the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were God's anointed. It is to them he made two covenants. One, a covenant running with the land called Eretz Israel, the land of Israel, and the other, a spiritual covenant that in and through the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would all the nations and the families of the earth be blessed. The world doesn't like that and is in profound envy. Just as Joseph's brothers were envy against, envious against him and threw him in a pit and were going to kill him, but ultimately sold him into slavery, even so, the peoples of this planet are envious against the Jewish people. How in the world can they possibly claim to be the chosen people? Well, it's not what they claim to be, it's what God said they were. He called them the apple of his eye. 
So the peoples now are saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. It's unrestrained envy and rebellion against the God of Israel. Like Pharaoh in Egypt said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? So just as pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall, so the nations and their prideful potentates are soon going to face their moment of truth with the only potentate, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and the picture is not going to be pretty, friends. In fact, the psalmist says he that sits in the heavens is going to laugh. He's going to have these nations and their leaders in derision. The God who declared Israel to be the apple of his eye has lost his patience with the potentates, the people, the presidents, the prime ministers and pastors who have set themselves against him by setting themselves against his anointed. So, Psalm 2 goes on to say, the kings of the rulers have set themselves, confederating against the Lord and his anointed, and they have said, we're going to break their bands asunder, and God speaks to them, the nations and their rulers, in his wrath, and says he is going to vex them in his sore displeasure. Because the Lord of nations and the God of Israel is not happy. He's sore displeased. And God responds by saying in Psalm 2, verse 6, Yet, notwithstanding all of the, what the nations and their rulers are attempting to do, whether it's China or Russia or U.S. or whatever, yet I have set my king upon my holy hill. I'm going to declare the decree, said the Lord. You are my son, Messiah, anointed one. This day have I begotten you. So, that is the story. The prophet Joel puts it like this, For behold, in those days and in that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, that is, returning the Jews to their promised land, I will also gather all nations and bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat, that's the valley of Megiddo, and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. So God concludes with his warning to the world, proclaim this among the Gentiles, says the Lord, prepare war. You can find that in Joel chapter 3, verse 9. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Assemble yourselves and come all ye Gentile nations before me. In other words, God's going to say, put up your dukes, you Gentile nations. You think you're so tough? You think you're so great? You think you're going to overrun this bitty nation called Israel that I have chosen among the nations of the earth, not because they were so great, but because I chose to love them? Prepare war. So, Joel goes on to say, the Lord shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens of the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So shall you know 
that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Friends, all of that's going to happen. It is happening right as we speak. And the loftiness of man is going to be bowed down, and the haughtiness of men will be made low, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day that is right upon us. How will that eternal battle for King of the Mountain end? You might want to read my book, King of the Mountain, to find out. The eternal epic end-time battle, where it's said that he who rules the Temple Mount rules the world, King of the Mountain. It is a $20 book, yours for $15. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. You're writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Be in prayer for the surviving children and husband of and relatives of Sharon Gluck, to whom we have dedicated this program today, one of the longest-term listeners ever to Viewpoint. Rochester, New York. What a blessing. What a blessing one person can be. A Jew who found the Messiah. I urge you to become a partner with us. Day after day, we're confronting the deepest issues of America's heart and home from God's eternal perspective. Today is no exception. Today is no exception. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the Jewish people. Pray for the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Pray for wisdom. Pray for courage. And quite frankly, I ask you to pray for me because I'm in the process of wrapping up this new book. And the next chapter will be speaking to the Jewish people. As one writer said, one listener said, who's been listening and supporting this ministry for a long time, he said, Save America Ministries is such a light in the darkness. I hope you find it that way. Become a partner, friends. Make your generous gift right there on our website, saveus.org. We're changing lives, one person at a time. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.